dismembered. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Renita Malhotra-Hora. The G20 plans a $2 trillion growth boost by 2018 to help uneven global economy. The Hong Kong-Shanghai Stock Connect gets off the ground and pro-democracy protests weigh on Hong Kong's hotel bookings. Today on Money for Nothing, our international reporter Barry Wood gives us a roundup of events at the G20 summit in Brisbane. Then Maggie Gilliam of the Retail Net Group sheds light on why U.S. consumers are looking forward to the holiday season. And last but not least, Jill Wong of House Williams Bowers and Sebastian Everard of Jones Day fill us in on what Hong Kong's businesses can look out for with the new competition law regime. Alex Wong of Ample Capital joins us as guest host. Good morning, Alex. Good morning. So, Alex, a lot going on this week. It's the start, finally, of the Hong Kong-Shanghai Stock Connect. Big week for Hong Kong, bigger week for China. What do you say? Oh, yeah, I think uh, initially people expect uh, more money would be northbound. Uh, but I think uh, probably Hong Kong would also benefit because um, if you look at the performances in Hong Kong blue chips, actually, we are seeing some interest in um, traditional blue chips last week. I think people expect uh, some money flowing in for Hong- in Hong Kong from China for some asset lo- allocation need. I think uh, that probably would be a dark horse uh, among Hong Kong sectors, actually. All right. Well, uh, hold that thought. We'll be back to talk more about that a little bit later in the program. In the meantime, G20 nations have agreed to take economic measures to boost their economies by a collective 2.1% by 2018. Now, this adds $2 trillion US dollars to the global economy. And this is as they battle patchy growth and the threat of a European recession. Here's President Obama's take. Here in Brisbane, uh, all the G20 countries announced strategies to increase growth and put people back to work, including a new initiative to support jobs by building infrastructure. Our nations made commitments that could bring another 100 million women into our collective workforce. We took new steps towards strengthening our banks, closing tax loopholes for multinational companies, and stopping tax evaders and criminals from hiding behind shell companies. But the summit in Brisbane was overshadowed by uh, Western criticism of uh, Russia's involvement in the conflict in the Ukraine. And before that, the International Monetary Fund says that it will hold G20 countries to account on their plan to increase uh, global growth by this 2.1% over the next five years. An action plan is great, but it needs to be implemented. And uh, our job will be to monitor country by country, action by action, reform by reform, whether there is delivery or not. And we will dutifully report to the G20 as publicly as is possible, I hope, so that everybody can understand who is doing what and whether it contributes to uh, the growth and jobs that are very much needed. President Vladimir Putin faced fierce criticism and left the meeting before it ended. Here's Australian Prime Minister Tony Abbott's take. I had a very robust discussion about MH17 with President Putin. Uh, Other leaders have had very robust discussions with President Putin uh, in the last uh, 24 hours or so uh, about, about Ukraine. 
but when all is said and done, uh, President Putin uh, was a guest in our country. Uh, President Putin is a member of the G20 and I was happy to treat him with respect and courtesy while he was here in Australia. President Obama took a firm stance on the Ukraine issue. If he continues down the path that he is on, violating international law, providing heavy arms to uh, the separatists in Ukraine, violating an agreement that he agreed to just uh, a few weeks ago, uh, the Minsk agreement, that would have lowered the temperature uh, and the killing uh, in uh, the disputed areas and make, uh, providing us a pathway for a diplomatic resolution, then uh, the isolation that Russia is currently experiencing will continue. British Prime Minister David Cameron stood firm as well. President Putin can see that he is at a crossroads. If he continues to destabilize Ukraine, there'll be further sanctions, further measures, and there will be a completely different relationship between European countries and America on the one hand and uh, Russia on the other. But he also knows there is a different path uh, that he could take. I think there has been good unity between European countries and the United States of America. We've just been discussing it at a separate meeting uh, that we will continue to maintain the sanctions against Russia. We'll continue to keep up the pressure and that if Russia continues to destabilize Ukraine, further measures would follow. In an interview with German television, Mr. Putin said that the West sanctions were harming the world economy. Well, to give us his views on the G20 summit, we're now joined from Brisbane by our international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. Good morning, Barry. Good morning, Renita. So much of a hue and cry has been made over the issue of Putin uh, leaving early in a huff. Barry, what do you make of it? Well, not a great deal. I think that, in fact, yes, he left about an hour early, but that's been done in the past. Uh, it may have been uh, a spite, but at the same time, uh, all he missed was Prime Minister Abbott's final press conference and any press conference that he himself might have given, which he seldom does. He likes a more, well, a more orchestrated phenomenon. No, I think... Uh, he was under pressure, no doubt. I agree I, with what uh, those bites that you just played. I was at the Lagarde and the Obama. But I think it's also clear to emphasize and important that Miss Merkel of Germany does not want additional sanctions. And President Obama pretty clearly said current sanctions will continue. He made no mention of further sanctions coming anytime soon. So do you think uh, they are likely to be at loggerheads on this? I mean, the current sanctions, how long are they expected to continue? Well, I think it could go on indefinitely, frankly. The Europeans are being hurt, particularly the Germans, by these sanctions. And we know the Russians are being hurt because their currency is collapsing. They're spending a lot. Now, let me add this into the equation. John Curtin of the University of Toronto, which studies G20 summits and has looked at them particularly since the first one in 2008, he fears that the sanctions thus far could trigger another financial crisis because there could be a collapse of the ruble, really, and a default on Russian debt, the kind of thing that happened way back in 1998. Now, I haven't heard any other people talking about that, but I think that is a danger. Alex, what do you think? Are we in danger of another financial crisis with what's going on uh, with these sanctions? 
Oh, I think it's still too early to call for that. But I think uh, at least uh, we would see um, European markets continue to perform, um, especially at uh, Germany. I think uh, people probably would still stay away uh, from uh, investing heavily in, in European in our countries right now. Okay, Barry, so there were a host of issues discussed at the summit. I mean, all sorts of uh, trade agreements uh, were up for discussion, greenhouse gas uh, reduction. Give us some of the highlights. Well, I think, uh, as you mentioned, trade. There was a deal last week between the Americans and the Indians on agricultural blockages that the Indians have, and that opens the way, says the head of the World Trade Organization, the Brazilian Azviedo, to completing the trade facilitation part of the Bali arrangement, which he thinks will open the way to fixing the whole Doha round, which has been blocked for a long time. I don't think there was progress on TPP. That really wasn't on the agenda here. And I do think that on climate, they've really moved things forward. Obama feels strongly about this. Abbott does not. But certainly the Europeans are on the side of Obama. The Chinese have done something significant for them. I think also when you look at those indicators that Christine Lagarde said, she said, we'll hold their feet to the fire. I think you put those three items together. You've got a pretty significant achievement coming out of Brisbane. Now, uh, Barry, uh, with regards to U.S. and China relations, on one hand, you've got, uh, you know, China's new regional trade pact, which uh, does that spell the end of a possible TPP? Um, And then you've got, you know, the greenhouse gases deal between the two countries, which looks like it could actually foster better relations between the two. What's your take? on these rival trade arrangements. The Chinese arrangement that they're proposing for a much broader, you know, Asia-Pacific free trade zone is in its early stages. It does not, in my view, conflict with TPP. I think, if anything, it gives some urgency to finishing TPP. But there, the question is, can the Americans and Japanese agree on autos and can they agree on agricultural imports into Japan? The Japanese held back because they don't think Obama can get it through Congress. Ironically, I think with the Republicans coming in, it may be easier. So I don't see a problem there. In terms of U.S.-Chinese relations, I think the body language between Obama and Xi at this summit in Brisbane was exceedingly positive. Every chance Obama had, he made his way to President Xi. I think there's something in the works here. I think it's exceedingly positive. All right. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, That is Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent. Well, for investors fed up of trying to predict how the global economy will influence day-to-day moves in equities, China's $4.2 trillion stock market is the antidote. Today marks the launch, the, the official launch of the Hong Kong Shanghai stock link. And the Shanghai Composite Index's indifference to Federal Reserve prognostications or Japan's monetary expansion and fluctuations in the global growth are all perhaps reasons to buy. Alex, you know, the the correlation between the Shanghai gauge and, and say, the MSCI all-country index is something really low, something like 0.1%. And Jim O'Neill, you know, formerly of Goldman Sachs, has pointed out that the Shanghai composite specifically dances to the tune of a domestic China agenda. Now, is that a good thing for those investors who are looking to diversify? 
Well, I think uh, first of all, um, China has a uh, relatively high cost of fund, so which make uh, the stock market relatively cheap because uh, we we are talking about a few percentage uh, more than other countries in the world right now. So that's why China equities actually look cheap, and they are very um, policy sensitive. And local players actually look look uh, uh, upon the policies uh, to to trade uh, and people think uh, the the market had, had been quite uh, speculative and corporate governance are, are not that good so that's why uh, we are seeing a relatively cheap uh, market and uh, I think uh, initially people would uh, would have some interest in in China but uh, the assumptions are actually are based on a stable RMB. I think uh, that assumption probably would hold uh, for some time. But uh, I think uh, uh, for really long term, I am I'm a bit uh, skeptical. But for short term, I think uh, probably money would be flowing in. Okay, that's interesting. So two things I want to ask you is one, you know, this... The fact that uh, the Shanghai Composite is not correlated, let's oh, yeah. say, to the MSCI. Now... For an investor who wants to invest in different things, isn't it good that it's not correlated? Oh, yes. That, I think, uh, is okay. Uh, of course, you would be um, able to you, you would find it a little, little bit difficult for PTEC actually because the market has been very uh, policy sensitive and, and the movement is not uh, correlated. That means uh, you you have to find some way to predict the market. But I think uh, for longer term, um, uh, uh, Diversification, you have to um, assume that you are very comfortable with the forex risk, I think. And um, Alex, why did you say that you are skeptical about this for the long term? Oh, because uh, the uh, cost of fund in China actually have been high and then the currency actually have been high as well. So high, high currency and also high interest rate actually are not good for fundamentals. I think uh, uh, they are holding up the RMB because they want to sell asset to foreigners. So that means uh, eventually, I think uh, after uh, some time, probably they would uh, not support the RMB so, 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 so hard. So that I think, uh, so that I think in the longer run, I would be pretty skeptical on the policies actually. Okay, well, billionaire Thomas Kwok has said that the pro-democracy protests have trimmed revenue at Sung Hong Kai Properties Hotels and that bookings for the coming months are much weaker than they were a year ago. The Ritz-Carlton's revenue was 10% below expectations for September and October, and the firm's other hotels were down by about 5%. A quick look at the numbers. The Nikkei is down half a percent to 17,402, and Australia's ASX index is also down one-tenth of a percent to 5 Well, we'll be back to talk more about how retail sales in the U.S. are looking as we approach the holiday season. That's right after this. side of lower oil prices is that you get to go shopping with the money that you save on gas. Now, U.S. retailers have reported strong sales in October. That and a recent rally in restaurant stocks as the holidays approach could herald happier days ahead. Let's bring in Maggie Gilliam, a senior analyst at the Retail Net Group, for further discussion. Maggie, uh, good morning and thanks for joining us. Sure, thank you. Maggie, you know, consumer sentiment is at a seven-year high in the U.S. Uh, can you tell us what you think accounts for this? Sure. So I think there's 
um, a lot of things that could be driving this. But I also think first it's important to note that you should actually look at consumer sentiment at a layer down. So if you look at it in terms of, um, you know, the higher income people, yes, consumer sentiment is definitely up. Um, I think that's driven by things like the recovery in the stock market and asset values um, that primarily benefited the upper income segment of the population. But if you look at the lower income and middle income segments, their consumer sentiment is really stagnating. So um, you really have to take a step further and look at that. But then, like you said, too, with this recent decline in gas prices, that tends to really help the low and middle income consumers. So we could see that improve. Okay, that's an interesting uh, point that you bring up. Now, we had Walmart's earnings uh, released at the end of last week, and their earnings were pretty solid. Uh, Does this not represent, however, the middle-income sector of the economy? Um, Well, I think it could, but I think you also have to look at the fact that um, Walmart's now begun to cycle the impact of the cuts in the SNAP program. Um, They took effect in November of 2013, so now they're cycling that. So, that headwind is really moderating for them. Um, and, I mean, I think that the declining gas prices probably will help Walmart also, but they tend not to correlate with Walmart sales. So I think overall it's just it might not be representative of the entire um, population or of the middle and lower income shoppers. Now, uh, Americans' expectations for long-term inflation have fallen, although the Fed wants to move unusually low inflation higher. Is this something to be worried about? Um, I think it could be, um, and this is a topic I'm not as um, voiced on as some of the others, but I think it is concerning. And if you look um, to Europe and what's going on um, with prices among the retailers there, they're really in a race to the bottom. So I think it it is something to just be aware of and to be following. Okay, and what are you expecting, Maggie, as we head towards the holiday season? Uh, I know that Black Friday sales are expected to be longer this year. Is that right, of three days or five days as opposed to the traditional one day? Yes. Mm -hmm. Walmart's doing a full week, I believe, or a full five days. And do you expect the optimism to continue into December? I think that we'll have a pretty strong holiday season. I don't think that it'll blow anybody out of the water, but I do think that um, shoppers are feeling a little better. I think it, um, the decline in gas prices are probably the biggest um, push that we'll have, and I think that'll be the biggest positive for shoppers going forward. But And we have one more day in there um, compared to last year, so I think that'll benefit um, retail as well. So I, I do think it'll be a stronger than last year. All right, Maggie. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Maggie Gilliam, a senior analyst at the Retail Net Group. Tai Chi is a healthy exercise, yet doing Tai Chi in public administration is not healthy at all. In local slang, it means shirking responsibility or not giving people the help they need. In other words, maladministration. Let's say no to that to complain against government departments and public organizations, please call the Office of the Ombudsman at 2629-0555. The time is now 8.22 a.m. and the Hong Kong Competition Commission and the Communications Authority jointly issued in early October for, for public comment six draft 
guidelines outlining how the Commission ex- expects to interpret and give effect to the competition ordinance. We now have uh, two lawyers, two partners uh, joining us, uh, Jill Wong, who is partner at House Will- Williams Bowers, and Sebastian Everard, who is an anti-competition partner at Jones Day. Good morning. So, uh, Jill, let's start with you. Can you give us a little bit of a brief about what the new competition law is all about? Good morning, Renita. The aim of competition law is to promote competition in Hong Kong by prohibiting certain types of anti-competitive behavior. A competitive environment actually benefits consumers, not only from better prices, but also having more choice and getting better service. Competition also leads to economic efficiencies, which means more job opportunities and innovative practices. So all in all, it should be good news uh, for Hong Kong. Um, There are basically three types of anti-competitive behavior that the uh, new competition ordinance prohibits. Uh, The first targets anti-competitive agreements amongst undertakings. An undertaking is any entity that's engaged in economic activity. So this is targeted at businesses who work together in an anti-competitive way. So for example, if you sell coffee, and I also have a business selling coffee, and we get together and agree that we will both charge the same price for a cup of coffee, that would be price fixing, and that would be prohibited under the new law. Yes, absolutely. Um, Sebastian, what do you think in terms of which parts of the guidelines are helpful, or which ones are unclear and you know, sort of need further clarity? Uh, well, first of all, I think that the, uh, there's nothing really too controversial in the guidelines. They are very much in line with um, guidelines we've seen in most Western countries. Uh, maybe one part um, was uh, there was a little bit of a surprise is in relation to resale price maintenance, which is a system where the supplier tells the retailer at which price it must resell the product. Now, resale price maintenance is prohibited in most Western countries, and and there was a bit of a hope that uh, the Competition Commission would be a little bit more liberal, uh, but it seems in the guidelines that they've taken a relatively aggressive approach. And do you have an idea as to which parties are most likely to benefit from this? Well, hopefully consumers. Uh, Mm. As Jill said, uh, you know, uh, the competition ordinance will ensure fair competition and that's great for consumers so that they can benefit uh, uh, from low prices and increased innovation. So, Jill, um, you know, there's been some speculation that small and medium sized enterprises have been worried about the new law. Should they be? Um, no, they shouldn't be worried at all. They will benefit from the new law because it will make Hong Kong more competitive for all businesses. Also, the law distinguishes between serious anti-competitive conduct and what they call agreements of lesser significance. For serious misconduct or so-called hardcore cartel behavior, the full force of the law will apply. Price fixing, bid rigging, output restriction and market allocation are all considered to be serious anti-competitive conduct. For agreements of lesser significance or non-hardcore cartel behavior, there will be a lighter regulatory touch. This means that the commission must give you a warning, and as long as you comply with the warning notice, then the matter is at an end. So this was a concession that was made during the legislative process to uh, address the concerns of the SMEs. Agreements of lesser significance are agreements between businesses whose combined annual turnover is 200 million Hong Kong or less. 
So a number of SMEs will be able to benefit from this. Okay. Sebastian, um, you know, some have said that the timing of the consultation process is actually very short. What do you think about this? Well, the uh, um, the businesses have until the 10th of December, if my recollection is correct, to uh, to come. I mean, look, the, the law has been on the books for a couple of years. Uh, it's in line with the laws of most Western countries. There's, there's nothing really controversial in the guidelines. So I think that, you know, two or three months that the Commission gave uh, to businesses is, is more than enough. Uh, to provide comments. And why has it taken so long to come about? As you said, you know, this has been established in Western countries for quite a long time. Yeah, exactly. I think, I mean, there was strong opposition. Um, you know, the, the most politically correct answer for me was is to say that I wasn't there, I was in Beijing. <laughs> um, and But I think it's more important that we, we focus on the, on the future and, you know, how the Commission will enforce, how businesses can anticipate um, the implementation of the law, rather than talk about the past. Alex, what do you think about this? Is it a good thing for Hong Kong? Oh yes, of course. Uh, I think uh, at least good for consumer. Um, of course, uh, but for bigger corporates, I think uh, that would be some concern for us uh, because we are actually invested in stock market. So that means a bigger corporate probably may, may, may need to do something. And do you think there will be any impact at all to local stock markets once the uh, competition uh, law actually comes into effect? No, uh, I think, uh, first of all, um, we probably would still think uh, the large corporate would uh, would have some um, advantages over the smaller ones. And then I think uh, right now the focus is more on fund flows from China. And that means uh, pe- people probably would, would focus more on that factor. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Jill Wong, who is a partner at House Williams Bowers, and Sebastian Everard, an anti-competition partner at Jones Day. So, uh, Alex, we have just a moment or so left. Uh, give us a quick update on what we should be looking out for for the rest of this week. Well, today, uh, of course, this week uh, focuses more on the Hong Kong China Connect, and we'll see the responses uh, today. We probably would oversuit uh, uh, Monday or Tuesday, but I think uh, probably we will see some correction coming uh, in the later part of the week. I think uh, we probably would um, see some correction because people people had prepared for this connect already. All right. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Alex Wong of Ample Capital, who joins us frequently on a Monday as guest host. A quick look at the numbers before we depart. Uh, Seoul's Kospi is down just slightly to 1,944 and in currencies, 1 euro buys you 1.25 US dollars. One US dollar is currently worth 116 yen and one pound sterling is worth 12 dollars, uh, 12 Hong Kong dollars and 16 cents. Brink crude oil is currently at 79 dollars and 33 cents a barrel and gold is at 1,182 dollars and 70 cents per ounce. This is Rinita Malhotra Hora wrapping up Money for Nothing on this Monday. A quick look at the weather forecast before we depart. Uh, the weather forecast for today will be fine, slightly cooler in the morning and dry during the day with a maximum temperature of around 24 degrees Celsius. Currently, the temperature is 19 degrees and the relative humidity is 73 percent. And now it's time for the half hour news with Samantha Butler. 
A financial analyst says investors should get in early as the daily quota of 13 billion yuan will be snapped up quickly when the Stock Connect scheme goes live this morning. The scheme allows Hong Kong and Shanghai investors to buy and sell shares on each other's bourse, although much of the cash flow is expected to be northbound initially. Southbound investment is capped at a daily quota of 10.5 billion yuan and is likely to be less active, with few mainland investors yet to sign up to the scheme. The CEO of Sinopac Solutions, Steve Burns, Steen explains why. Partly because the I think the people on onshore in the mainland are hoping that this um, stock connect is going to boost the Shanghai market, so they want to keep their money in Shanghai. And you know the Hong Kong market's up; they're not as active as as they are going the other way. So I think there'll be demand. I think the governments are going to make sure that the quota is reached to have a good start. But uh, over time, I think we'll see more interest going into China than out. Australia and China are expected to sign a multi-billion dollar free trade deal today after more than a decade of negotiations. Radio Australia's Melissa Clark reports. The free trade agreement will be signed by Prime Minister Tony Abbott and President Xi Jinping in Canberra today. The Parliamentary Secretary to the Prime Minister, Josh Frydenberg, says it will be worth up to $18 billion to the Australian economy over the next few years. Up to 95% of our exports over time will enter the Chinese market tariff-free. He says the services sector and the beef and dairy industries will be the big winners, but warns sugar and rice growers may be disappointed. The shadow treasurer, Chris Bowen, is reserving judgment for now. We want to see the substance and then we'll make an assessment. Tariffs on coking coal exports will be abolished, but those on thermal coal will be phased out over several years. A diplomatic 